Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and today I'm here with Lawrence from the kickoff and the crew Geordie channel. So how are you doing today, Lawrence? Pretty good. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been a long weekend, so if I look a little bit tired, I'm sorry. But um, I, I said I'm going to match you with the massive headphones and just see where this goes. So it's been a good, it's, it's a good day. I like Mondays, to be honest. To be, to be honest, I, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more of a Thursday fan, to be honest. I really feel like it's underappreciated as a day. I feel like the day of Thursday is just generally underappreciated. I think it's because obviously Friday is the next day and obviously we people start celebrating for the weekend and that. Yeah, exactly. But I think when you're a YouTuber, every day is the weekend, so I don't really know what day is anymore. You know, especially with coronavirus and everything else, days just fade into each other. And before you know it, it's been like three weeks. Yeah. You know, in hindsight, I wish I, I, wish I would have started doing this three months ago. Yeah, <laughs> you actually should have, you know, because I, I was thinking that even when I when I got in lockdown a couple of months ago, I was like, oh, maybe I should do a podcast or something. But I don't think, I don't know, I, I just don't think uh, I'm as interesting maybe as interviewers I'm, I'm guessing you're going to be. So I'm looking forward to today to see, see what kind of podcast we can make. Obviously, a lot of people, lot of people know you from the Crew Geordie channel, but you also... I've your own background in journalism. Yeah. So how did you get into journalism? Um, well, I guess I've always been uh, kind of interested in the media. I think a lot of people are interested in the media, right? And a lot of people just sort of like to watch TV or, you know, read an article or something. But I always wanted to be the person that was writing the article or, you know, making the video. And I've always wanted to make videos from a very, very young age. I always wanted to, when we played games when I was a kid, I wanted to be... The, the kid who was holding the microphone, doing the news. I wanted to be the TV presenter. I wanted to be all these things. And then over time, um, you know, you sort of go, well, is that really a realistic job? I don't really know. And so I, I applied for Goldsmiths University, which is uh, like a me the, one of the best media universities in London. And just went there and kind of didn't really realize uh, what I was doing at the time. Because when you're a kid, you're just like, yeah, sure, let's try it, see what happens. And like you with this podcast, I don't know if I realized what I was doing until afterwards, if that makes sense. So um, I, just, I just fell into it, really. But I've always wanted to be in it. And then I went to, went to America to cover a football tournament in um, 2009. And out of nowhere, I was basically just covering football all of a sudden because I met all these people who were like, yeah, we could work with you or we could work with you or we could work with you. And then... Um, that just snowballed into more and more jobs. Because I think back in 2009, it was very different to now. Everyone wants to do football now. Whereas back then, it was a bit more niche and maybe people didn't really know how to do it or didn't have the technical skills. And now, I don't really know what I am because I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> I, I, I would just say you're, you're a general YouTuber, to be honest. Now. Oh, that's the worst insult you could offer me. So that's fair enough, though. <laughs> So, so do you know do you know you first broke into yeah you obviously started off as a runner as everybody does when yeah. they break. So what was that like? You know what? I really enjoyed running because um, 
Oh, did I? I don't know. I've got to, I've got to be honest now. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed some aspects of it. Uh, I enjoyed the aspects where, you know, you're just running around London, basically trying to get stuff for people. And I remember it would be a different company every week, really. So you'd start off with one company and then they'd be like, well, we don't really need you next week because we've not really got any shoots, but we can tell, we can tell you another company you can go work for. So Soho is kind of, or was when I started running quite a while ago now, the base for media in London. So I was basically running all over Soho, giving people packages, buying coffees, you know, going and picking up stuff, taking people's dry cleaning to places, doing all the stuff that, you know, you see in the movies when someone is a runner or a personal assistant or any of those things. But then very, very quickly, people were like, oh, this guy can do more than that. And so I started very fast to um, edit stuff for people. I'd be the other camera on things. But I remember the worst feeling I ever had as a runner was when someone said to me, uh, right, we're going to shoot an F1 commercial today. And uh, who, who was the driver? I think it was David Coulthard with his big jaw came in and I was like, oh my, oh no, it wasn't David Coulthard. It was, it was an Australian driver. Anyways, he was Australian. He was a really lovely guy. And this guy came over to me and he goes, Lawrence, I just need you to stand next to this camera and just make sure that everything's good. Tell me if it stops recording. And he goes, okay, it's all set and go. And I was like, okay, I'll just stand here. And I didn't touch it. And the next thing I know, the camera just falls off the tripod. And I'm stood next to it and the whole room just turns around and just sort of looks at me like, what did you do? And I'm just stood there like, I didn't, t I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. I didn't do anything. And the guy comes over and he's like, you idiot. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe that you've, you've ruined the day, you've ruined the shoot. If this is broken, you're going to pay for it. It's coming out of your wages. And I was like, I didn't do anything. And he just blamed me. So I, I was just like, oh my God, I don't know. What the hell am I going to do? So I didn't really know. But the guy came over to me, the, the, the director of the whole shoot came over afterwards. He was like, don't worry about it. It's all right. But if the camera is broken, we're taking it out of your wages. I, and thankfully they didn't. But it's that kind of thing where you get blamed a lot for things that aren't your fault, but they need someone to blame. Uh, and so for a little while, if you can take that, I think you can take the rest of it. And it's actually not that bad. Obviously, in 2020, thing, things are a lot different. So, yeah. do you think the other, do you think the really, do you think the job of a runner is obsolete for him? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, what I think is um, a lot of people don't realize uh, anyone's job and how, how complex people's tasks are on a daily basis. Even if it can feel like the simplest thing, I think everyone can always do with a bit of help or someone to help them kind of lighten the load of what they're doing and I often think that the job of the runner or the job of people who are just starting out in the industry can go underappreciated and I think it's only really when you get to a point where you might need a runner where there's you know you're having meetings all day and you can't really take the time to go out and buy your own food or all this sort of thing and you've got contracts and you've got uh, someone saying we need to come up with a running order for the show and all this kind of thing that you begin to appreciate the runner I think it, when you say obsolete, I think you're making a good point because a lot of people might not see that as the, the route to get into media now that, you know, a lot of people just go, well, I'll set up my own media thing and just see what happens. But I think there is something still quite noble about starting as a runner and working your way up. And I think the best thing about starting at the bottom of the chain, which probably if we're honest is the runner is that you have an appreciation for that. So when you are then climbing up, 
you understand how hard it is for that person who's just starting out and maybe you'll help them out a bit. Um, so I don't think it's obsolete, but I do see what you, what you mean in terms of, is that the only route anymore? Maybe it's not the only route in anymore. So I think there's multiple routes. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fair point actually. Yeah. yeah. But for but somebody like obviously because of my disability because of my disability I could never probably be like a proper runner run, 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 right. so to speak because obviously I can't physically do the job so yeah, but, I, but that's, I, that's what I found sort of fascinating with media is there is a job for everyone to do. And so, for instance, you know, whilst you not, can't necessarily you know, be running all over Soho and giving people coffee and stuff, you can be a guy who can be editing or coordinating or you could even be a gallery director or you could be a vision mixer or there are so many jobs that I think until you are actually in the media or until you're in a production team, you probably don't even know exist because from the outside, I think a lot of people just sort of go, so you just point the camera and that's it. And actually when you're in it, then you realize how many more jobs and how complex it can be. So like I say, there's more than just one route in. And uh, to be honest, I think you're probably already overqualified to be a runner. So. What is it? What is it? What is a gallery, whatever you say? I can't, I can't remember any of that word in that you use, but what is it? <laughs> So a gallery is um, the process of, uh, even we have a gallery on the kickoff and we did a little behind the scenes and I think a lot of people were surprised. But um, the gallery is basically the place where all the cameras and all the different media feeds go and then they vision mix those together on, you know, through a gallery. And it's called a gallery, obviously, because you can display all the cameras and everyone can see all the media at once. And that's where the director of the show will sit. That's where the producer will sit. That's where the vision mixer sits. And to be honest, you put all of your team in a gallery and it's like the brain or the hub of, of the whole operation, really. Yeah, that, that, that's actually quite interesting. Like, yeah. I genuinely did not know. Did not know you were called that. Yeah, and that's why I'm on the podcast is because I've got useless pieces of information like that for you. <laughs> Well, I do, I do think, I do think some people might find it interesting. Cause I know for a fact I have some viewers that are trying to break into the traditional media in the traditional right. way. So yeah. that will be interesting for some people to hear. I remember when I was first, again, I was a runner, but you, as a runner also, sometimes you just get handed a laptop and they go, do this or do this and, you know, or press this button when I tell you. And uh, I guess I, I always wanted to be part of a big crew. And there's something really exciting about going onto a set and being part of a team of people and thinking like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm watching the best director with the best vision mixer with all these people. And people, when you are the runner, offer you little bits of information and little bits of help. So being in a gallery, I think is actually, for me, was really exciting when I first started. Um, and I think if you are a runner, my, my piece of advice would be to try and be as helpful as possible, to offer as much as possible. Because some of the runners that, with the best runners that we've had, actually there's a guy on our show who works on our show now called Jack. And um, he started out as a runner. And, you know, a lot of people, when they start out as runners, they just sort of stand in the corner and kind of don't really do very much and just kind of wait for you to talk to them. Jack was the opposite. 
and a bit like you really, he was always reaching out. He was always uh, going, can I help? Can I do something? You know, he was proactive. And I think that's a really important part of trying to break into the media. The more proactive you can be, the more, you know, uh, helpful and the more uh, adaptable you can be, the better. And now Jack is a producer and has learned so much. And for a young guy is uh, like a real pleasure to have on the team. So I think very quickly you can find yourself in a really good position. Yeah, yeah I, I, I personally, I personally, I personally love the way you shoot the kickoff. Who designed the way you shot? Is it like a group effort? Yes, that's actually a really good question. I've not really been asked that before. Um, it, it, it's evolved a lot over the last few years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think you'll, I, I don't know if you've been a fan from the beginning, but you'll remember when we shot it in the blue studio on a couch. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Statman Dave and, you know, a, a weird, a weird, uh, a weird looking background. And that was kind of the start. And True Geordie and I, Brian, um, weren't really, we knew we were on our way towards something, but we didn't know, um, we didn't think it was quite right yet. But we knew that we had to give the client that were Coral at the time what they wanted and, you know, try and have a bit of a, a dialogue and show them that what we could do. But really down the years, and I think this is something that Brian and I have really taken a lot of pride in, is the teamwork and the difference in our opinions has meant that we've always gotten to a really good point of great quality. And we were very lucky to work with a production company in the beginning who backed us um, called Formidable. And they, um, they really helped because their expertise, their insurance, all the paperwork was done. And they allowed Brian and I uh, whilst there, you know, whilst there are a lot of challenges to decide how we wanted it to look, all these kind of things, and we were given a lot of really great equipment by a company called Black Magic, who make um, the Ursa, which is a really high-end camera, and uh, the Pocket Cinema camera, which you might have heard of, which is quite popular with YouTubers now, and they gave us a lot of equipment, and we were so lucky to have a team of people who were not lazy, they were very proactive, they were smart, they were hardworking. They were probably some of the best people in the industry at putting together exactly what Brian and I were telling them. And it, became, it was a team exercise, but really what I'm proud of is that Brian's vision for the show is now on the screen or is getting closer and closer. And week after week, he will be giving small pieces of feedback and, and you know, we'll be tweaking it every week. So you'll see a difference in the color or in the, the lights or in, you know, the way we shoot things. And that is really whilst I'm part of it, that's really Brian's vision. And I think that's really something that he's, you know, he's really proud of. I, I, are you looking for a set, for a set home for the kickoff? Because every season you obviously have to, you obviously change location every season. Right, that's a really good point, yeah. Um, well, when we started out, we started out in a small flat in Dalston. Well, it wasn't small in any way, but it felt small at the time. It was a three-story, uh, was it three stories? Four? Three stories. Yeah, it was a three-story house which had been built uh, in Dalston by architects that were very innovative. And it had the podcast studio on the bottom floor. It had uh, Brian's kind of bedroom and a gallery in the middle, which was very, both were very small. I felt very sorry for him. And then the top floor was a, a, a living room turned into a set. 
the second year we moved into like a penthouse apartment in Farringdon. And now the third year, I think we probably found our home, which is in North London. And uh, I think Brian's very happy there because it's got a swimming pool. So I don't see us moving from there anytime soon. Aesthetically, it's probably the best looking place you had so far. Yeah, and I think also it it was the place that if if I could show you the document that we first pitched the kickoff with uh, when we first went to uh, the, the company and the guy called Elliot Hackney who wanted the show, we showed him a picture of a bare brick wall uh, with a cool couch and a table and TVs and all this kind of thing. And we were like, this is what we're aiming for. And he really understood that vision and was really part of the creative process whilst Brian was leading that. I felt that Elliot was really part of that in the beginning. And, um, you know, between Brian and myself, Brian was very much the, you know, the heart and the drive for that. Between Brian, myself and, and Elliot and someone called uh, Pete and, uh, you know, someone called Ian and someone called Alex, we really built that up. Um, and we're now proud of what we have on the screen because I think, you know, in my personal opinion, it's some of the best looking stuff that YouTube has right now. And it looks, you know, we, we feel like it could be on Netflix. I know, I know, I know people are gonna, I know people are gonna say, say in the comments, I'm kissing your ass, but I do, I do think it's <laughs> some of the best stuff on YouTube right now. Oh, I really appreciate that, man. Is it, it's something that I think we've really worked hard on. And also, you know, again, I was talking about the, the, the job of the runner, like there is so many different roles that come into it, like Rory and Hugh, who've come in over the last few years all these great guests that we've been having recently. We had Kieran Dyer on a few weeks ago and he was amazing. KG, the comedian's a hilarious guy. You know, we, we have a real variety of guests. So all these different moving parts sort of come together. And I think, you know, Brian and I are both really proud of what we do every week. And the fact that we've got guests and uh, audience that give feedback like you who can tweet things in and, you know, help with the content, I think is really important to us. Yeah, I... I've been, I've been a fan of, I've been a fan of Brian since day, I'm not going to say that day one, but it's pretty, it's pretty early on. Yeah, where the I, iPhone on the ironing board sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw it, but a couple of years ago, I actually made a video on Brian. Really? Brian. I think, I think you might, I think you might, I can't remember, but I believe he Retweeted it or left, like him. or left the com, or left the com, comment. Yeah, underneath the video, but unfortunately, I took it. I took it down because at the time I was having problems with my channel. Right. Okay. Oh, were you with a lot of people? As in, a lot of people having problems with their channel at the moment. I get the feeling you were probably having the same problems. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been going for quite a while as well, then. Yeah. Like I have already, tr- I have already, tr- I have already tried before last last month. Like I used, to, I used to just upload whenever I wanted with no with no consistency. Right. Consistency. And now here we are, where you have uploaded. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine clips in the last, uh, in the last month. Yeah. 
Can it's hard to get it's hard to get people on for every single day of the week, obviously. Oh, of course, yeah. So, so I just I just need to figure out what I what I was gonna post when I'm not doing when I'm not doing interviews. Yeah, I get that. There's kind of a difficulty in that in a sense where it's like there are, there are a lot of set formats out there that we know people love to watch. Like it's clear that you're, you know, you're building up quite a successful strand with, you know, people interviewing football-based people or sort of sport-based people. Like, you know, you've got Laura Woods and Mark Goldbridge. Mark's a great guy. Um, and trying to change that or expand that out can be a real challenge. Maybe you could try a true news style format and sort of, you know, take the piss out of other YouTubers. That's not, that's not me, either. <laughs> that's fair enough. Like I'm, t- I'm too nice. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be a bit of a. You gotta, you gotta have a bit of a nasty streak in you to do a bit of true news. I think. Oh, definitely, yeah. But I, I think that, I think that's what we what we both enjoy, enjoy about True News, and I think a lot of people realise that too. Is it's a show where you are you are always going to be a little bit harsh, or you are going to be a little bit, you know, it's a joke ultimately. And I think the good thing is a lot of people take it as a joke. But we've had a few times down the years where people haven't taken it as a joke, and I think those people who can't quite take a joke, I think that's more their problem than it is ours. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, I know, I know it. I know it's a joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we've, but we've, but we've said a story. I'm like, blood, bloody hell, guys. That's good to hear, though, because I, I actually, I think that's kind of the reaction that we're looking for as well. To be honest. Out of the two of you, out of the two, out of the two of you, I would say you're a you're lot more conservative in your, in your responses. Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I was worried you were actually thought I might be a conservative, which is really worrying me for a minute. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Although I've got to admit, I appreciate Brian's like outspokenness and I like the way that he just says whatever he thinks. To be, to be honest. To be honest, I think I think you and Brian were really well together because before Brian used to get a bit annoying sometimes because he, <laughs> yeah. he, he used to be he used to come across very my very macho and very manly. If you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think if it, it's also been a real pleasure over the last few years to you know uh, you know I, I'm not patronising him. I think he he knows we're both in a time of our lives where there's an incredible amount of growth and like self reflection. And so watching Brian grow, grow up essentially, uh, you know, into the, the man that he is now, I think is, has been really satisfying. I think this is the most, this is the most fun I've had in interviews so far. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Cause I mean, you've had people like Mark Goldbridge on so far. And let's be honest, he's not a very fun guy, is he? So, <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry, Mark. It's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. All love. All love to Mark. All yeah. love. All love. Yeah. That's and Mark's a lovely guy. I've I've had a lot of chats with Mark. Are you uh, who who's your team? Are you, you're a Birmingham guy, right? Yeah. Uh, I I am from Birmingham, yeah, but I don't re- I don't really I don't really follow football. 
football like that. Hold on a minute. You watch the kickoff, but you don't really follow football like that, is what you're telling me. Like, I like, don't get me wrong, I like football, but I, do, I don't get, I don't get, I'm not a, a fanatic fanatic of a certain team. That's fair enough. I think that is, yeah. I mean, especially, especially with the way football is now, you're probably doing the right thing. In my opinion, I think you can enjoy the game better when you don't follow a team because then you don't have to deal with all the, all the, all the negativity and all the rivalry. Yeah, and I think the rivalry nowadays is really sort of getting quite toxic as well. Like a lot of people don't really seem to be able to take a joke or enjoy the rivalry like you used to. I think nowadays it's a bit more like, I don't know, people get quite upset about it. Like I was tweeting about Man City this morning because the day that we were recording this, obviously Man City have overturned the ban that they have from UEFA. Some people just can't take a joke. Are they really? Yeah. I didn't... I didn't know that. I've only, I've only been away for the past five minutes, for the past couple of minutes. So <laughs> I, I didn't know. Seriously, I didn't know about that. Well, this is, I mean, it, ultimately, I think it is a bit, it's massive news. And, you know, especially for football in general, I think it shows that FFP isn't really uh, what it said it was. And, you know, outside of that, I think it also shows that if you've got enough lawyers, you can pretty much make UEFA say anything. So, uh, you know, it's disappointing, I guess, but at the same time, good for them. Obviously, this is all allegedly. <laughs> no, because I'm going to say something. Obviously, when you have a lot of money, when you have a lot of money, you can make people do whatever you want for the most part. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, and that's what Brian does. <laughs> it's a joke. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you you're a, bit, you're a bit like me, you know, like, even, even when you're joking, you have to say it. Yeah, I wish there was a sarcasm font on YouTube because, <laughs> or on Twitter because I think a lot of people just don't get sarcasm in the first place. So that's, that's the disappointing side. Like, do you know when I'm joking? I have to put a lot of in the mold. Jesus, so people. And that's the real problem, isn't it? Because like, I, I don't want to have to make a... I, I never make a joke in real life and then go, uh, yeah, I'm going to put the laughing emoji after that, guys, because that's meant to be a joke, okay? People just are supposed to get it. And that, if you don't get it, it's not my problem. It's not my fault. We are, we are just from a different time, aren't we? Like, if, you grew, if you grew enough in this social media era, I can understand why people are so self-conscious and why people take everything literally yeah exactly and yeah and i get it i understand why people are self-conscious but i guess just because they are self-conscious doesn't mean that i have to change what my opinion is no you don't a lot of people you're not going to because i see so many i see so many influence as soon as they get as soon as they get a bit of fame they change their they change their opinion yeah. and, I, and i just think that's a load of bullshit Bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> I agree. And also, I mean, the, the problem is, A, I don't have any fame or influence. Um, and B, uh, yeah, I don't really have that many opinions to change. So I don't really feel like there's, there's much of a, a risk of me doing either. Like some people have referred to me as a kiss up or suck up, yeah. And, I, and I'm just, I'm just to have, like I'm not actually in life. Guy, yeah, you come you, across that way. Unless you upset me, yeah. I'm not yeah. gonna slag somebody off for no reason. 
that's why I don't do new topics or anything like that. I really get involved in the quote-unquote YouTube drama. Yes, it's, it's also, I think it's a, you know, it, YouTube drama is also very much live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, if you get into it, then you've got to expect something back as well. And I think uh, it's only really for a certain kind of personality. And like you say, if you're a nice guy, I don't know if it really suits someone who's trying to do kind things in the world to be part of YouTube drama. Um, um, plus, I, um, plus, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, to me, it's just a bit long, if you know what I mean. Like, like it takes, it takes, it takes a month or two to really get over it, like content-wise. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, I think once you get into it, then it's very hard to get back out of YouTube drama. And actually, I think the strange thing that most people in YouTube drama don't seem to acknowledge is there's actually a much bigger, wider world out there. And YouTube drama can feel very intense and very important. But as soon as you leave YouTube, it doesn't really matter. Like, do you, do you know, because obviously I got younger, relatively, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we have, like, fun gatherings or something like that, yeah. Yeah. It always comes up, yeah. And you can, you can see, you can see that like, the aunties and the uncles have this weird look on their face, like, what the hell are you watching? Yeah, I do think, you know what, I think every generation always looks at what the previous generation is watching and always go, what are you watching that for? That is terrible. Because, oh, although, yeah, maybe not. I mean, but yeah, no, actually they do. But uh, I remember when I was a kid, I really used to enjoy watching stuff that my parents used to really enjoy watching. So I grew up on like Thunderbirds and um, Captain Scarlet and Batman. And I loved, I remember when I was uh, a kid, I loved the film Ghostbusters, which actually came out like five or six years before I was born. But it was just a great film. And did you, did you watch the remake? Oh, no, or don't you like remakes or? Oh, do you mean the do you mean the the remake with the four female actors? Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry, my apologies. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, um, I I thought it was a good film, but I I think the problem is when you're starting to remake something. I think sometimes you end up compromising some of what the original um, the original appeal of the film was. And the original appeal of the film, I know, was probably very much for, you know, uh, middle-class white guys like me. Um, and so I'm, I guess the new film wasn't really aimed at me, but I know there is. I can't remember where I, I saw it, but I watched a trailer the other day for the new Ghostbusters, which is uh, not even really about the Ghostbusters. I think it's about ghosts and kids who are maybe related to the Ghostbusters, sort of finding out about their parents or grandparents and that sort of thing I am into because uh, I, I don't know as a, as a dad now I want films that I can show to my son so yeah when, when you have children you're not your whole perspective on life but you do look at things in a, in a parent way don't you like when you watch certain films do you think is that really appropriate for a child? Well, that, that's, a good, that's a great comment. I mean, that's also a conversation to have about YouTube right now, right? Because, you know, my cousins who are, you know, were a bit younger a couple of years ago, obviously, because that's the way that you age. You are younger <laughs> a few years ago. But like, um, you know, they were watching things like Jake Paul and Logan Paul. And, you know, I wasn't a massive fan of Jake Paul or Logan Paul, maybe before the change that these two guys have gone through. And, um, you know, they were saying a lot of swear words. 
And I remember thinking at the time, like, is that really appropriate for a nine-year-old to be hearing, like, you know, can I swear or not? Yeah, you can say whatever you, can say whatever you want for the most part, as long as it's a bit too controversial. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, then as long as I, as lo- you know, when I was seeing them hearing the word fuck or shit or whatever, when they're nine, I'm sort of like, hmm, did I know that word when I was nine? Did I use that word when I was nine? And maybe, I don't know, I don't know what your opinion is. I'd love to know what you think about kids using swear words, but I think it's, you need to know, you need the reality of the world, but as a kid, it's very difficult to know what's appropriate and what isn't. Um, And so having YouTubers or whatever, just using any words or any language, I think is often very strange. But I was having this debate with with my partner the other day. I said to her, well, it wasn't really a debate. We were just kind of agreeing. But like, I was saying to her, as a kid, I loved the film Jaws, but also at the same time, it scared the shit out of me as a child that if I ever went in the water, a shark would basically uh, rip me to shreds. And uh, I was like, when do we show our son the film Jaws? Like, do we show him when he's eight? Do we show him when he's 10? Do we show him when he's 15? Like, or is he just going to come across it on YouTube one day? Like, you know, shark and... uh, I, I don't know, like, when do you introduce kids to scary or negative things? It's really weird. It's a really strange thing. What, what, what do you think about that? I personally think, I personally think if my child knows, if a child knows what swear words are at the age of nine, yeah. they're, pro- they're probably in a bad environment. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Although I've got to admit, my, um, my auntie, uh, when I was a kid, was very much of the opinion that I should know what swear words are so that I can, if I hear them, I know what they mean. And so she used to teach um, refugees uh, about English swear words. And obviously as a kid, I was so fascinated with swear words because every kid is fascinated with a naughty word, right? And so one day I'm with her and I say like, auntie, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I teach people about naughty words. And I was like, this is ideal. You can teach me some naughty words. And so she obviously taught me that, you know, the simple ones, um, but definitely avoided the C word because I'm pretty sure that everyone avoids the C word for a kid. And I went into the living room and just said to my mum, I know the word fuck now and there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, I think my mum was quite upset but I also think it was probably healthy that at the time I learned what the word fuck was because I might have been shocked if years later I'd learned what it was and I didn't know. I, uh, obviously, you know, when you're with children knowing, knowing the sea was, but I'm very surprised. Yeah. A lot of these kids nowadays know exactly what, knowing exactly what the word is. Yeah, and especially with things like South Park and like even, I mean, even if, you know, you're a kid and you watch the True Geordie channel, you're going to have heard some of these words. So I don't know, maybe it's healthy if you hear them in context or maybe it's healthy if you hear people using them uh, not gratuitously. So either way, I think it's probably, you know, I can't say it's a good or a bad thing for a kid to know a swear word, but I agree with you that if a kid knows a swear word but doesn't know the context, they're probably not in a healthy environment. Like, for example... Obviously, we won't. We won't heard about what happened with Will. So, yeah, yeah. And that, that was a twelve-year-old boy saying some some of them things. So yeah. you do wonder what sort of environment are people like that being brought up into. 
And also, I think, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really understand the way that the world works. You don't understand that if you say certain things to people, there are really heavy consequences for that. And um, I think very often, like, you know, when kids are saying this stuff, that's not really the kid. But obviously, the kid needs uh, some sort of uh, rebuttal or needs to be punished in some sense. But I feel like it's a little bit harsh sometimes to blame the kids. I feel like you got to look around them and sort of say, yeah, uh, maybe the racist parents or the racist cousin or the racist brother was a problem rather than the actual 12-year-old boy. Yeah, that's right. That's the thing I was going to say. I feel, obviously, I, don't, I feel sorry for him in a way. Because yeah. he obviously had that from his parents or from his relatives or yeah. who was looking after him. And you think that is appropriate to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, we, kids need to know about that sort of thing. And that's, you know, you've got to deal with that at some point. But uh, it's a real problem if you have your kids sending racist messages to a football player the day before a football match. That's pretty, pretty bad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if you heard, like, let's just say, obviously we don't know, let's just say his relative. He's probably heard his relative play that about on the TV. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, probably gone on to social media and got the same thing. But actually typed it to him. If you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the other thing is as well, I think, you know, when we were kids, I don't know how old you are because you look pretty youthful. But, um, you know, right. when we were kids, how old are you? I'm 24, by the way. Okay. My, so you look good for your age. My, my, mental, my, my mentality is more like 34. <laughs> I, I remember when I, I, I had a parents' evening when I was a kid and I went, I went in with my mum and the teacher just turned to my mum and said, Lawrence is... Uh, nine going on 45 uh and i think my mom was quite upset by that at the time but i think they meant it in a nice way so um but yeah I, yeah and, and then i guess when i was a kid we social media only really became a thing when i was about maybe 11 or 12 and so before that there wasn't really like you you know you're a little bit younger than me so maybe you did grow up in social media just about always or just as far as you can remember i did i did but i did but i wasn't I was, like interested in it until i right. got to i don't age where i knew what not to say and what to say right but a lot of people don't don't necessarily take that same journey because i think a lot of people go down the route of um you know you know i'm 12 i can say what i want i'm a i'm a teenager and very often when you're a teenager you think you know everything anyway and you can be a little bit arrogant you can be a little bit cocky and I was definitely an arrogant and cocky teenager at some point. I've sort of fancied myself a little bit. You know, I didn't quite realize how awkward or weird looking I was. And, you know, I thought I was kind of cool. And I'm not saying I would have put racist or homophobic stuff online, but I'm definitely glad that social media didn't exist when I was a kid. Because uh, otherwise I probably would have tweeted some pretty stupid stuff in the first place. You know, you know, then kids that take social media way too seriously, yeah. Yeah. That, that probably would have been me. Yeah. To be, when I was younger, because I used to take everything so literally. Like some people say I still do, but back then, like, I, was re I was really bad. Like, if somebody upset me back in the day, yeah, it used to really bother me, like, super bother me. Yeah. Like, like if somebody called me a freak or something like that, it used to really bother me, so. You can't imagine what social media would do to me if it was like back then. 
I mean, at the same time, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the story that I've got about when I, I played the, um, I was the commentator on the side men's first charity match. Yeah. And I accidentally said <laughs> that my DMs were wide open. And I received just thousands and thousands of messages from people just going, I hate you. You're the worst thing that's ever happened. You, you know, fucking prick and whatever. And that was a day that like really changed my perspective on people's opinions online. Um, and it was because I, like all this hate was just coming out of nowhere, but also every now and again, there were nice messages of people being like, you're doing really well, keep going. And you've really got to take the love and the hate online in the same way for me. It's like, you know, if, if people say you're really good, take that with a pinch of salt. If people say you're really bad, also take that with a pinch of salt. Um, the person I felt most sorry for was someone who was a friend of mine and still is a friend of mine called Adam Boltwood. And he used to produce the kickoff. So you might've heard us talk about him. Yeah. I on the that. day, yeah you, yeah, you know that name. On that day, he was at a wedding uh, on the same day as Brian and I were doing the Sidemen commentary. <laughs> yeah. And so people had obviously not looked at what my name or my at was on the, on the screen and had just gone to True Geordie's uh, people that he follows and looked through for a white guy that looked a bit like me. And so Adam Boltwood is at a wedding he obviously looks a little bit like me in his Twitter photo and he's just suddenly getting all these messages which are like, you fucking prick, I hate you. You're the worst thing that's ever happened. And he said he was just sat at this wedding like, what have I done? I didn't even know where I get all these messages from. Yeah. To be honest, as soon as, soon as he says that, in the back of my mind, I'm going, no, Doris. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> It was, I mean, it was, it, it's also made for a really funny story. And I think I've still got those DMs somewhere. So either way, it was, a, it was a good lesson. And, you know, the internet's an interesting place anyway. So. Speaking, speaking of, speaking of DMs, do you yeah. know when you DM me? Yeah. From there, I might, could I be, basically, what I'm trying to say, was it easy to DM me? Like, are my DMs open? Oh, yeah. Like, you just go straight to your profile and at the very top, you've, oh, are you trying to get people to message you? I don't know. Maybe you're looking for people. Uh, let, me, let me have a look here. If I go to your profile, I'm pretty sure that your DMs were, yes. But maybe that's because you follow me. So I don't know. Maybe they're only open to people that you follow. I have to look in that because you forget, before I get too big, I'm gonna have to close them because I'll be, me personally, I don't want random people DMing me. Yeah, it is a little bit strange in the first place. And I think also just the, we were, we, Brian and I were doing a podcast uh, yesterday with a guest that I can't say their name of, but it, it is a good guest, right? And um, he was talking about how bizarre it is that hundreds of thousands of people can watch your video and you don't even know who they are. And Brian and I had never really thought about it in that way. And we were both kind of freaked out by the idea that there's lots of people watching us that we don't even know who they are. So it's a strange one in the first place. Like, you know, on Instagram, mm. I, I, obviously you can message anybody at any time here. Yeah. I don't think they, obviously for interviews, it makes it a bit easier. But I don't think they should allow it. I don't think they should do it like that. I think they should only let you message. Like 
damn people that you follow. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that when you get to a certain stage, you can go for like an influencer profile or something. But I yeah. think you've got to have a certain number of followers and a certain number of things. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I think social media could definitely be better in the way that we let people communicate. I'd say for people like me that are trying to get into it, it works pretty well, but I can imagine I get a load of random DMs asking for nudes and things like that. I'd imagine that you're going to get loads of DMs asking for nudes. I mean, people know you just sort of, you know, if you're out there just reaching out to people, the amount of people who are going to message you for that sort of thing is uh, dangerous. You yeah. just ask Mark Goldbridge. I mean, he sends his nudes to millions of people. Yeah, I got a lovely buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love you. I love you. I love you. I sense of you, man. I'm a bit like, I'm a bit like that. Yeah, I can tell. Obviously, so far, a lot of these guests are not being very bantery, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't know them that well. Yeah. I don't really have any banter with them. But because, I watch, because I see you most weeks on the kickoff, I know, I know what your personality, personality is like. So yeah, exactly. Can, so we can have a bit of banter. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think a lot of people, is, I, I guess maybe sometimes I get a bit too comfortable too quickly with people. So I start making really inappropriate jokes <laughs> and some people take them uh, way too seriously. But uh, thankfully, there are people like you who can definitely take a joke, which I like. Like, life is too short to take things to so seriously, like there's certain things that are really not worth getting upset about. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, at the same time, you know, if it is worth getting upset about, then I'm more than happy to talk about it. But if I, if I'm, if I don't mean to upset anyone, then I don't know why you would bother getting upset in the first place. But, you know, it is what it is. And after I've been on YouTube for however long and, you know, doing multiple things, sometimes uh, you just have to learn that uh, some people are going to be upset by things. And that's not really something that I can change. Obviously, you mentioned that you and Brian sometimes have disagreements like yeah i think that's in a way i think that's a positive thing because if you have if you agree on everything yeah then you're not going to create good content because you're particularly agree with each other and that's not good content in terms of in terms of youtube is it really well also some of the best things that have happened in my life um you know whether i've meant them to happen or not have probably come from conflict or come from disagreement or come from you know, at some point, some form of turmoil or uh, hard work. And I think Brian and I pretty much made a relationship on the fact that we disagreed on a lot of things. Oh, you know what? I don't even think we disagreed. I think we had different perspectives, which ultimately came to maybe similar outcomes or, you know, similar paths. And we had that mutual appreciation for each other. And so the fact that you can disagree with someone and realize that they're disagreeing with you because they want the best or because they want to, you know, help you, is such a positive thing to have in a relationship. You, you met on the football republic, didn't you? Yeah, yeah but we don't say the football republic anymore. We just call it that dead channel. <laughs> well, they, well, they are, well, they are not around anymore. So that's yeah. the, that's so I feel a bit sorry. I feel a bit sorry for them in that sense because you know we we had some really great videos on that channel and I was going through it the other day with a friend and I was like, God, we made so many good videos on that channel. You know, I made a, a documentary about Jurgen Klopp and Pochettino and Conte and Brian and I used to do, um, what was that game called? Game of Two Halves. Yeah. And, 
you know. That's where, that. sorry, that's where I saw you first, that the kind of two hours. Yeah, and, and, and I really, used, we used to enjoy filming that. Brian and I would sit down and it would be very similar almost to what you and I are doing here because Brian would be in Newcastle, another guest would maybe be in London and I would be in London as well or wherever the guest was, right? And Brian and I used to have to wait for quite a while before we get shooting because obviously they have to frame up the cameras, they have to make sure that everyone can hear each other, all this sort of stuff. And it was a lot harder even a couple of years ago, I think, uh, to get everyone to hear each other and sort of record it okay. And so we'd just be sitting there and very quickly we realized that we had a similar sense of humor because we both like The Office, we both love Ricky Gervais, we all these different kinds of people. And we were just given the same references. And then, um, one day we got a bit annoyed because they cut all of our best jokes out of a show because they were clearly way too inappropriate for what the audience was. And we just said, well, we should do a podcast then and start making some of these inappropriate jokes together. And thankfully, uh, a lot of people at that time really enjoyed watching it. So we were quite lucky, really. You know, do, do you know in the beginning of Top Gunica, obviously you, you could give two shit, but I think you're, you're really hardly treated by Brian's audience at first. Obviously, yeah. obviously mm. people are warmed to you now a lot. But back then, I, th I thought you were really harshly mistreated. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, and thank you very much for, um, for saying that because I think I was probably a bit harshly treated as well. But I also think it was a good lesson because I also think, you know, uh, before that, I hadn't really thought about how I was presenting myself to people. And I didn't really realize that I might uh, rub people up the wrong way in the way that I do. And it was a good lesson at the time, because I think sometimes you can be a little bit arrogant or a little bit too, you know, whatever. each other's uh, perspectives. And, you know, the Football Republic um, was a great start for us. And I'm really grateful for that time, because I think, you know, we built off that platform. And, um, you know, we really feel like we're innovating a bit in the industry now. Uh, with what we're doing with the kickoff and other things. And when we look around and see so many other people trying to rip off the watch along that we do with the kickoff or, you know, the match companion, it's actually, um, it's actually quite a compliment that people like the BBC are ripping off our format or Sky or, I mean, name anyone in football right now, they've ripped off the kickoff. So um, that's, that's quite satisfying in that sense. But it means that we also have to remain ahead of the curve. And I think... The great thing about working with Brian is, um, on a professional side, he always wants to be ahead of everyone else. And uh, that kind of drive, and I think that kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, that kind of hunger to be competitive is something that's really served him well down the years. Yeah. I, obviously, you guys have a lot more freedom than the big, than the big names. Absolutely. Corporations do like I imagine when they do it, they have to stick specifically on the football. Like, yeah. you, like you guys, you go all over, you go all over the place sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> which I think some people quite enjoy as well. Like, you know, I think a lot of people kind of enjoy that. Um, it can go anywhere, um, and I think. I don't, it, it's strange because, you know, someone who's starting out a podcast like you, you probably do have to be quite focused. You probably do have to get your audience in. So, you know, give them a hook, something that can bring them in. And we did that for quite a long time. You know, we hooked people in with football and then we had other conversations. Um, 
and, and also I think it's important that there are, there's a diversity of content online. Like it's really great that, you know, you and I can have a conversation about absolutely anything. Um, and I think there's real space for where Brian and I are doing our content right now, because a lot of people are doing it the other way where they're very serious, very straight laced, very presentery. And I don't think that's a problem. That's good. Um, but I really love what we're doing right now. And I think it's, you know, it's an enjoyable thing to make, which I like. I did it. I'm not gonna lie. I do enjoy some some presenters. Yeah. Like I really enjoy Laura Wood's work. I enjoy Gary Neville's work. Willie yeah. does a bit of presenting every now and again. Like the them guy, them people, in, them people in particular are very good at what they do. But then some of them, where I think, nah, you're you're not you're not you're not it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Not it. That's a really great way of putting it. But then there's also lots of other younger guys on YouTube who I think are doing really great presenting right now. You know, there's people on Football Daily like Joe Tomlinson and uh, Zach Jaleb and um, I'm trying to think of other talented guys. I mean, I really enjoyed the VYB channel as well, which is, you know, Dave Horner and those guys. And I think, you know, they are young, talented guys who haven't grown up as traditional presenters. And now they are being more traditional presenters or are presenting for Chelsea or Sky or all these kind of people. They are um, changing what it means to be a presenter because a presenter now can be much more laid back or have their own personality a bit more. And I think that's important to keep that, not have someone who's too corporate or too formal. A personal question, a personal question of mine. Go for it. Say that if I my dream, I do, I also, obviously, hang on. I do want to do YouTube, obviously, but I also yeah. want to do mainstream presenting. Could you see a big corporation give me, give me a chance because of because how I talk? You know what? I think a lot of people now are um, not looking for a conventional way that people speak. So when, if you go back to the BBC when it first started, it was very, good evening, and this is the news. And, uh, you know, you can only really get away with talking in that way. I think now the fact that there are so many more opportunities and there are people looking for a bit of diversity of content actually plays in your favor because, you know, let's, let's, let's tell the truth here. You don't talk in the same way as a conventional TV presenter does or someone that, you know, was back in the 1990s was a very straight laced TV presenter. But that's not the point. Like the whole point is that you're supposed to be able to communicate and you've got your own way of communicating, which is unique, your own, your own perspective, which is also extremely unique because, you know, you and I are going to have very different daily experiences of our lives. And so for a TV company to be able to portray that or to be able to, uh, you know, give you the resource to portray your perspective, I think, especially in a time now where we're breaking down what it means to be any of these people, you know, be a, a director or be any of that stuff, you've probably got an even bigger and better opportunity than you've ever had before. And I think the best thing is that you can be honest about your background and where you come from and your perspective, rather than being overly PC about it or, you know, people trying to pretend like it's any, you know, you're no different to a conventional TV presenter, which also wouldn't value the person that you are. You know, what's the point in bringing you on and then going, right, do what Gary Lineker does? Because you're not Gary Lineker. But that's the whole point. I don't want you to be Gary Lineker. I, I, first of all, you know, I don't want, <laughs> I wouldn't want you to talk like Gary Lineker. But secondly, it would be boring if you spoke like Gary Lineker or boring if you even spoke like me. 
what's the point in you doing a bad impression of me when you've got so much different and more diverse experience than I have? No, you can try, you can try, I'm not the norm, no, the exactly. normal presenter, because when they see me, they always see my wheelchair and they will instantly think, oh, that don't, that don't normally get, that don't normally happen on TV. Yeah. It, it doesn't do it. And I think and at the same time, with everything that's happening uh, politically right now, and even with things like, I think, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement is one thing, but it started a whole load of consciousness of the fact that really we're only portraying certain perspectives in the media, which is obviously very heavily one of my perspectives, a middle-class white guy who, I, let's be honest, I don't have any, well, as far as I know, I don't have any disabilities. I might do, I don't know. Um, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know if, is it even all right to call it, it call stuff disabilities anymore? I've got no idea. Well, it's all right, it's all right with me. Okay. Uh, as long as you're talking to me, you can call it a disability, but obviously I would check with the person before you did it, because some people like, can obviously be, be very, very emotionally, emotionally sensitive, sensitive yeah. about that sort of thing. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, um, the story that I is, or I'm always reminded of whenever we talk about, let's call it disabilities, because I can't think of a better word for it right now, yeah, but you know what I mean. And you know that I'm not um, making fun of anyone who's disabled when I say that, right? Um, I, like, the, the story that I always think of is uh, about, have you ever heard the story of the, there's a blind guy who lives in America who rides bikes? and uh, teaches other blind people to uh, see, but as, as a, a blind yeah. person. You, you mentioned it before, don't I? I know exactly what you're going to say. Oh, great. Okay, well, then I don't need to bore you with the story. But, but the up and down of it is that he, he read a book or was, I think someone maybe read a book to him, or I don't know how he read the book. Maybe it was in Braille. But it was called Blindness is a Social Construction. And in many ways, I think we're now beginning to think about the social constructions of how we see everyone else in the world. You know, people with, uh, people with race, people with disability, people with all sorts of things. And I'm not saying that a race is a disability. You get what I'm saying, that there's more diversity of voices than just white middle-class voices, right? And in many ways, I think that's where you have got a really unique perspective and what you should, uh, you know, think about more is because actually it's nothing to do with you know sitting in a wheelchair or whatever it's to do with the life experiences that you're having and really the wheelchair is not really the defining factor for the person that you are like a couple of years a couple of years ago on the bb on the bbc why that why the children program called cbb's yeah they had the why the right word the ambit, the ambit, the presenter, the presenter with one, one arm. I right. don't know, I don't know what, the ambit, why is the terminology? Um, I think you were right when you said the presenter with one arm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I don't know, I don't know what the correct term is. Yeah, an oh, amputee yeah. maybe? I, I, I don't know, maybe they had the arm amputated yeah, or I don't know. Yeah. I apologise if there's a little bit out there that is slightly a fair. Let, let me know down in the comments if anybody knows what, what the correct term is. Yeah, but I think not everyone knows you're not trying to offend anyone here, so I think we're okay for now. But anyway, my point is a lot of the, a lot of the parents were complaining. Uh, it's, 
frightening there, children, and I just, and I just think if you've got the time to sit down and explain to them, that's, that's nothing to be worried about. Yeah. It wouldn't be frightened in the first place. And to be honest, I doubt any children's going to really care. Yeah, I also think a lot of kids don't really, like, um, think about, like, if you've got, if, I don't know, if you're an amputee or, you know, if you are, if there is something that's different from a child, right, a lot of children don't really see that. Or if they do see it, then they're more fascinated or interested in it than actually uh, sort of, you know, repulsed or whatever you want to call it, or, you know, angry or sad or that, you know, a lot of people treat it or act as if people are like, oh, oh, can you believe that there's a person with one arm on TV? It's like, well, yeah, this is real. And also, by the way, if you've got the time to write an email to the BBC to tell them that your child was upset, you also have time to tell your child not to be upset. I think, I think people are just ignorant to people's struggles in life. Obviously, I'm not, obviously I'm not comparing what I go through to the, to the, like, like, I mean, because it's no, nothing, it's nothing alike, but there, but in certain cases, I can understand why the, why the, why them, why, why the, why there would be, you know what I mean, I can understand yeah. their, their struggle. Well, you're an, you're an empathetic person, and ultimately, I think, you know, a lot of people can, uh, whilst you can't understand exactly what they've been through, you have had your own struggles in your life and it's actually a really nice thing that you can um you can empathize with them instead of just going god that sounds bad i wish i knew what that felt like and then walking away or you know just sort of you know not being not being empathetic that's not going to get you anywhere it's not it's definitely not going to help their cause either yeah I, that, that, but sometimes sometimes i find it difficult to really how to present that in a constructive way where well, people don't think like, I'm trying to say that it's that it's the same. Cause it, obviously, it's not. It's not the same thing, obviously. But as soon as you try and as soon as you try and explain that to people, they think that you're just jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak. Yeah, and I, you know, I I I get that because actually, uh, you know, it, it is a big bandwagon to jump on. But at the same time. Uh, if someone is positively or saying something good to you, for you to turn around and go, don't jump on the bandwagon, mate, is maybe a little bit cynical. Um, but uh, again, it's almost like telling a joke in a sense. If they can't understand where you're coming from, that's probably their problem more than it is yours. Yeah, I, I, I just love everybody, no matter what your race, no matter what your belief is. Yeah. As long as you, as long as you don't hurt me or upset me, I love you. Yeah, she's <laughs> quite sweet in the first place. <laughs> and that's not something that I just put on for the camera so people think that I'm actually like I don't like I know some people put that on for the cameras and that and then in the personal life they're a real dick but I'm gen <laughs> I'm genuinely a nice person yeah anyway yeah going back to the podcast yeah go for it and let, and let ever be a guest where you thought, this, Here we is go. A, this is not what I thought it was going to be. 
I regret doing it. Wow. Uh, have I ever reg regretted doing a podcast? Um, I don't know whether I've ever regretted it, but I think some people have surprised us. Uh, some people have been not as good as we thought they would be um, and maybe misunderstood where we're coming from. Other people have been better. Uh, Sean Atwood is a great example of someone that we were like, oh, this is going to be a normal, you know, uh, talking to a, a criminal or someone who's done something wrong in their lives. And then, you know, it's been uh, actually quite a perspective, life-changing kind of experience doing the podcast with them. But I, you know, I don't think I've ever thought afterwards, God, I wish I'd never done that because uh, everyone's got a perspective. And obviously we only really invite interesting people on at different points. Um, so I've never regretted it, but there have been a few where I've been like, well, that was weird, which is fine. Like, obviously, I don't, I don't let say you to that. I don't let say you to lame people, but I'm going <laughs> to say, I'm going to say the ones I didn't like, and then you can say, you can say to me whether you liked them or not. I'll blink once if I like them and twice if mm. I didn't, okay? Mm. I thought I thought the London real girl was a waste of time to be like. <laughs> um, Brian is one of the most unique characters that we've ever had on the podcast, and where he's taken his podcast ever since has been a fascinating roller coaster to watch. Um, he has such a unique perspective on the world that I think to interview him was a weird and wonderful um, roller coaster. I can't say that I agreed with uh, some of the stuff that he said, but again, I think that's partly like what I've kind of learned down the years. When I first started doing podcasting, it was like, right, I don't really like this guy. I'm going to try and nail him and I'm going to try and get him to admit that he is wrong or whatever. But down the years, what we really learned, both Brian and I, was that what you need to do is make that person relaxed enough that they will tell you how they really feel, what they really think, and then try and debate them or challenge them on aspects of that. And Brian, uh, the, the, you know, from London Real, is a very unique uh, perspective on life, to put it diplomatically. And I don't regret having him on because I think he is a very uh, insightful character. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I agree with all of his approaches. And you know what? I do think he makes very premium content and he's a very switched on guy. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean by that. I think a lot of people would, were split by Brian rather than agreeing with him. I call all love to Brian. I, 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 don't, I didn't mean that in the personal way. I just, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think you can express that and not and it not be a personal slur on someone. You can say you didn't like a podcast and it not be a problem. Because I think sometimes people, people obviously, when they don't like something, they can turn it into a personal shot at somebody. So I like, even though you know exactly what, even though you know exactly what I meant, I yeah. just want... I just wanted to reiterate that. No, absolutely. I know what people are like. Brian is a, Brian's, um, he's a, like I said, he's a very unique character. And, um, you know, he, he was an interesting podcast. I'll put it that way. I, 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 I know for, I know for that. Brian in particular didn't really like the digital podcast. Can you mention it on, he mentioned it on the Christmas episode. They didn't really like it. 
You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he, uh, I think that Christmas episode, we'd had a lot to drink. I'll put it that way. And uh, similarly to you there, we, uh, we spoke fast and loose. I'll put it that way. And I think Brian, Brian's been on a full loop with the London Real situation because we've had so many interactions with them down the years. Another podcast, I didn't, it's not that I didn't like it, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I didn't like the Diddy Rascal one very much. Right. I mean, that's, I think a lot of people say that to us uh, because, you know, they expected maybe to understand what we were trying to do. And I think he mis- misinterpreted where we were coming from for a lot of the podcast. Uh, and I get Dizzy's been through a lot. He's had a lot of uh, interesting life uh, experiences. But it disappointed me a bit as well, because I remember thinking, hmm, you think we're trying to nail you here when actually we're trying to ask some insightful questions and get into some interesting conversations. And maybe he, I, for me, from my perspective, I think he was a little bit defensive when actually he maybe didn't need to be. But did you, did you see my, I can understand that. Can you, I don't know whether you saw him on Priel, on the Good Morning Priel. No. Yeah, but basically... Piers Morgan was trying to get him to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And, and, and I felt like he was trying to get him to say some stuff that he didn't want, he didn't want to say. Yeah. So I can understand why. It's a bit like that. Yeah. Sarah. And I've also learned a bit more about Dizzy since. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of people who have been, maybe been a bit closer to him saying things like, you know, that, uh, that maybe his experiences, te- uh, you know, if people trying to nail him like Piers Morgan, taint his experiences of interviews. And also, you don't owe anyone a good interview. Uh, you know, if you are, uh, from my perspective, if I'm going to enter into an interview like we're doing with you, you want to give someone a good interview because, you know, it's a social contract. But I also get he doesn't owe anyone that. And I also get why he's pissed off at Piers Morgan because it must get a bit boring when you are a black person to always then be asked about black things. Um, that must get a bit boring. If I, if I know anything about Fian Morgan, I don't think that would discuss beforehand. He probably, yes. just, he probably just brought that up out of the wind. Yeah. And that, well, yeah, Piers Morgan is quite an interesting character in the first place. I'll put it that way. He's one of the few people that I wouldn't I'm not going to say I would like the interview, but I don't think I would enjoy the interview on the personal level. Just because I don't, I don't like him as a person. I think he comes across as a bit of a scumbag sometimes. <laughs> I get completely what you're saying. I think also the fact that he flip-flops on some positions or can sometimes be a little bit um, populist sort of annoys me a little bit. And that's not really, that's not really something that I respect. Obviously, you can't speak with Brian yeah. Georgie, but if, if the opportunity came up, would you have peers on the podcast? Oh, that's such a fascinating question, because I think Brian and I have debated having sort of controversial figures on before. Um, maybe. I, I, I personally would, because I think I'd like to interview him and maybe challenge him on some things, and that is the kind of interview that I enjoy. Um but at the same time, I understand why down the years, maybe we haven't had people like Piers on because we've not really liked them. And I think both ways, I appreciate it. I personally would, because I also think I want to record the time when I get to challenge Piers Morgan on why he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, maybe some other people wouldn't. And, you know, I think Brian is also well up for a debate sometimes. So if we caught Brian on the right day of debating, I think he'd probably go toe to toe with him. My, my outlook on, my outlook on debate with some people is just a waste of time because you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to conform to what they think and you're not going to, and they're not going to conform to what you think. So yeah. sometimes I can feel like it can just be a half an hour of just going backwards and forward. That one, that's what a lot of debate turn into. That, that's, that's kind of a fascinating thing about a podcast for me is actually, um, even if someone debates you and you don't end up agreeing, you still learn something about that person that when you're debating them, they won't necessarily change their opinion. And sometimes I think that shows more about a person than you might realize. I really, I really enjoyed the David Ike one, even though some people found it a bit weird. I really enjoyed it because I enjoy conspiracy theories and that obviously you have to be a bit careful with them. Yeah. And I, and I think you guys approached it in the right way for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, David is a fascinating guy and has taken years to study this kind of thing. And so, again, to have him on, but not necessarily agree with everything, I think is really healthy. But afterwards, I wish maybe I had challenged him on more stuff. But I also realized uh, to challenge David Icke on something might be a bit of a fruitless uh, exercise because he's always going to have one more conspiracy theory than you are, or one more explanation. And uh, I'm not, sadly, a conspiracy theorist or a, uh, whatever you want to call it. I'm happy you didn't ring up the leaders, the leaders stuff, because I feel like it will be overplayed. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, I think there's a lot of very um, out there stuff that can sometimes put people off maybe some of the more truthful stuff that David's found, like... You know, we're all interested in a conspiracy theory, but sometimes um, saying the queen is a lizard or, uh, or any of this sort of stuff can become a weird conversation to have. <laughs> yeah, I'll let Ellie plan to get Ian Wright back on for part two. Ian Wright is probably one of the best interviews I've ever, I've ever been part of, and I really enjoyed talking to Ian. Ian was also an early part of my like actual directing career because Ian was part of uh, a few football channels. Ian was a real trailblazer in terms of getting involved with online video and content very early on. And he saw it before a lot of other footballers and even the BBC and anyone else did. So there's always credit to Ian Wright for um, being early on. And also he was so humble to work with that when I was a young guy, like in my early twenties directing Ian, he was always open to listen to ideas. He was always listening to what I was saying. And sometimes you work with people and they're not really listening or they already think, yeah, yeah, I already know what I think. Ian was the opposite of that. And so I am eternally grateful to Ian for being such a great um, older influence on me and being so kind as a presenter. But as a podcast, he's fantastic. I'd have Ian back on any time. And to be honest, the only other thing that I'd want to do with Ian would be to crack open a bottle of wine or a beer and just get him a little bit tipsy to see where it goes. Oh, I'm just gonna put this out there now. Go on. If, 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 if somebody from the right camp is watching this, I would love to, I would love to have him on sometime. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, uh, I'll, uh, let's see if we can hook you up with him when we finish. 
I really appreciate that, mate. Anyway, I'm going to speak about Robin Lyle very quickly. What, of course. So, so, from your perspective, what, what, what's the real issue between your, your Robin? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, Robbie and I have sort of put it to bed a little bit now in the sense that I think we both, uh, we both uh, had our say. But uh, the real, I think the crux of where I was coming from when I was talking about what I was talking about was um, I always felt like I, from my perspective, wanted to push football content on YouTube as far as we could. And that was something that I really sort of prided myself on. And there were times where I watched Arsenal Fan TV that I felt that it sold some of the people on Arsenal Fan TV a little bit short because of the way that people were making fun of them or portraying them. And I'd had a few conversations with Robbie and I really felt like we understood each other. But sometimes I felt a little bit uh, like he could be pushing it a bit more. And I was obviously, you know, I was a bit younger at the time and I was quite aggressive in the way that I said that. And maybe I regret the way that I said that, but I don't necessarily regret how or what the sentiment was, which was that I felt like I wanted Arsenal Fan TV to portray fans in maybe a bit more of a, uh, a three-dimensional way. Yeah. And I felt a little bit like um, it it felt a bit naive the way that they were uploading videos and pretending as if no matter what they said or what they uploaded, it was uh, a good thing for the football community or even just for Arsenal or even for some of the people on there. And that was always something that I wanted to be able to debate. But there were a few times where privately, either by uh, Robbie or by people who were in business with him, people avoided the subject because they were making money at the time. And it always felt a bit like, shh, 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 we're making money right now. Like, don't, don't rock the boat. And maybe I was wrong to, to see it that way. But I always wanted to, I guess sometimes I feel like constructive criticism can be healthy. But also what I learned was the person has to be open and willing to hear that criticism. And my criticism can't always be aggressive in the way that maybe I want it to. And that was the crux of the issue for me. And maybe because Brian and I addressed it on True News and we're maybe a little bit, you know, we made some jokes and we're maybe a bit childish or whatever. Robbie maybe took it in a way that I didn't mean it. Uh, and I always felt a bit sorry for that because I wanted to help Robbie and maybe I didn't help him in the way that I should have. No, I just I've heard Robbie's side, obviously. Yeah. Any, 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 any claim. I'm not sure if he still feels like this, but he claimed that back in the day, you were, you were trying to work with them. You were trying to work with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, uh, know what you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Well, you, you want to know whether I was ever trying to work with Arsenal Fan TV and whether Arsenal Fan TV rejected <laughs> my job application. Um, I can conclusively give you the exclusive that I never applied to work with Arsenal Fan TV. Uh, but I did work in a company, or I freelanced with a company that uh, I think, I don't think they had shares, but they were very close collaborators with Arsenal Fan TV. 
or AFTV as they might be known now. And Robbie and I in that time had a lot of conversations because we were in the same office. And I did offer my, what I, you know, not arrogantly, but uh, in a humble sense, my expertise to Robbie because I felt that I could offer something. And uh, we never made that work. But maybe the way that it was portrayed was as if I badly wanted to work with AFTV. Um, and let me tell you now, I don't know if that was ever true. Um, so to put it diplomatically, no, I did never apply to work with them. But did I want to try and help at one point? Yes. Did I offer my, my advice? Yes. On a train back from Liverpool when I'd just done a shoot with Robbie. Yeah. A lot of these people are going to accuse me of trying to start a shoot. I would always... I've always been interested in that in that whole thing because to me it comes across as really stupid, really stupid and dumb. I think we both looked stupid and dumb on that because um, we were two grown men who, instead of talking about it, were making YouTube videos about it. And grown, mature men do not make YouTube videos about a subject that they could sit down and talk about. Even if you don't want to talk about it, you just don't acknowledge it. Just, Got it. You and well, not particularly you, but you and Brian have a lot of fans, and they have a lot of fans. Yeah. So if you, if you don't agree on something, just move on and just focus, just focus on your own content. Yeah, and I've not, and, and that's part of it. Is actually, I think you should be able to express your opinion on someone else's content, and it's okay if you don't like it. It's actually all right that you can say I don't like what you're doing. If someone says, I don't like what you're doing and they're making points about it, for you to then be offended by that, I don't really understand that because that person is offering their opinion and their time to say to you, I don't like what's going on here. Um, that's fine. If I don't like it, I don't like it. That doesn't mean that I'm being a hater or something. Um, like, do you know when you go to a restaurant, you're not going to like everything on everything on the me everything on the menu oh yeah but also when i go to a restaurant i expect to at least like <laughs> one thing on the menu and that's the problem yeah but you can you can see what i'm saying like, oh completely i'm not disagreeing with you i completely i in many senses i completely agree i also think as two people who are quite prominent on youtube we should be able to have healthy debate and um there is nothing wrong with a healthy debate at some point, at some point, I would love, I would love to get Robbie. I have, I have reached out to him, so I'm just gonna wait and see whether he responds. You, you know, what? he's he's a great guy. He's actually a really lovely person to be around, and he's great company. I've had a few drinks with Robbie in the past. Um, you know, I've shared cabs with him. I've been on shoots with him, and he's actually always been really nice, good company, and sort of a very civil, more than civil actually, a very good company. Um, so I think you'd be lucky to get someone like Robbie on. And I think what he's done for charity during um, COVID and what he's done before that is actually great. And I also think what he's done for diversifying the voices on YouTube is a really key thing that we'll look back on and go, God, that was amazing. But um, you know, I don't think we're in that moment right now and we kind of need to move forward a little bit. Yeah, I really, me personally, I really, even though I did like, some of the videos on AFTV, I really do write Robbie as a person. As yeah. an individual, I love his story. 
and he did a lot of things before he did AFD, obviously he did the music thing. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think Robbie it deserves a lot more respect than maybe I gave him at the time. And um, he's actually just a really, there's a lot of great aspects to what Robbie does. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think Robbie deserves, like I said, deserves more respect than he's getting right now. Yeah, big up Robbie. Absolute legend. Yeah, he is as well. I agree. And I, you know what? I think Robbie is, um, he's a really cool guy and he's, he's learning uh, a lot about uh, YouTube on a regular basis. And I think he's applying that. Uh, and that's really good to see. A couple, more, a couple more people I want to talk about, and then I'll let you go, mate. No, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, whatever you want to talk about is good. Do you know James or James Orcott? Yeah, I sure do. He's a good friend. He's a lovely guy. Obviously, obviously, he was on the key cop at one point, and then he and then he and then he hasn't been on it a lot lately. Is everything okay between you guys, or is it just? Going in different directions creatively. Oh, like, I'd, I'd never think it was a creative difference with someone like James because James is, uh, and I've always really liked, uh, let me just first of all put this, there's no problem with James. Uh, a lot of people, uh, they seem to think that when people aren't on a channel anymore, somehow privately those people don't speak or that, uh, you know, there's some sort of issue. Uh, you know, Will and Ian and I haven't been on a channel for a very long time or Stephen and I haven't been on a channel for a very long time. And for some weird reason, people don't seem to think we have a problem. James was always a really key um, part of the channel in, in that, at that point. And also, uh, he built a lot uh, in that time. You know, he built his own channel, which I think was, is done really well with some great interviews and some really great content. And James has gone on to do the Premier League and things like that. And actually, I think you can't necessarily be on a show where you are where you have to sometimes maybe criticize your employer like the Premier League and um, then go back to the Premier League and be like, everything's good. Uh, not that James would be compromised anyway, because I think he's actually a very fair person. Um, but yeah, everything is good with James. He's always been, uh, he's always been lovely to Brian and I. He's always, he's always helped a lot. And, uh, you know, as you saw last year when I did my first video on my channel, James was the producer on that and did that very well. Um, what? And uh, I did I didn't really have your own channel. What did you what do you upload on it when you do upload on it? I've only got one video on there right now and that's the main problem. Mm. Uh, and uh it, it's it was a road trip last year, uh and I've not uploaded since. But my plan is to upload soon. Uh it, the problem is since then Brian and I have just done so much work together and so much stuff that I've not had the time or the you know, and obviously We've been we've been having a baby, and there's lots of other stuff that's been going on. Not Brian and I, not flu and but um, you know, we there's been a lot of other stuff going on since, and so I've just not had the time or maybe the inclination to upload. But I've I've got one video up there right now, so hopefully I can make it two or three or ten sometime soon. I I I love I I love I love James. I think the process. I think he's great. Yeah, the process is fantastic. Again, I would love to. I would love to have James. All right. Well, well, let me let me. I'll message James after this. Then I'm sure James would love to be a guest sometime because he's a great interviewer and interviewee. And you know, James and I, we've always been very close since we started working together. Um, 
And, you know, he was a big part of the kickoff for a, a whole season. And that wasn't really the only thing that he did. I think, you know, a lot of people assumed when he left the kickoff that there was some sort of problem. But uh, I can't, I can guess I can assure people it was the complete opposite, if, if that makes sense. And if, if, if James wanted to work me at any, any point, he'd be more than, he'd be more, I'd be more than happy to do so. Well, I mean, that's a big compliment in that sense. Uh, and I think James, let, yeah, let me be clear. I think James is really building something that's quite special on what he's doing with Twitch. And um, I think, I've, you know, having spoken to him privately, there's a lot of other things that he aspires to do. And I think James is extremely capable of doing that. Uh, so I think to have him on as a guest would be a great idea now before he gets too big and, you know, he gets a bit uh, too famous. Yeah, good. Because unfortunately, you know, the bigger name that you try and get on, it becomes a lot more, a lot more difficult as you thought. Absolutely. I mean, the main problem for you is, mate, you're just lucky to get me on because I'm a massive name. You know, that's, that's the real thing. <laughs> Surprisingly, I would have expected people like the people like Laura Woods to be difficult to get on, but she was probably the most easiest person to get she's got a lot of time for people i think that's the that's why probably why she's been so successful in the industry is she's listens to people uh, looks at her own social media and um seems like a really diligent hard-working person which i think in the modern industry is quite rare so yeah i really i really do right great I, presenter uh, one of the best in the industry at the moment yeah whenever whenever did you interview with like a manager or a player i I always, I always stop early. I always stop and watch you. Get I know when she asks, when she asks a question, she genuinely, she genuinely wants to know the answer. I think yeah. sometimes certain interviewers can just be trying to get a story, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and just get a, a hit you or a, a got your piece, which uh, I don't really, I don't really like. Whereas I think Laura is very good at. Um, asking the right question at the right time. And she, you know, from watching some of her stuff, I've not seen all of it because I don't subscribe to Sky, but um, you know, she's a good broadcaster. Yeah. Another person that I really like, it's Adam Boltwood. Adam Boltwood. Well, who doesn't rate Adam Boltwood, right? <laughs> Even though he's not on camera like that, yeah, you can tell he's a big but you can tell that he's a big part of the team or he used to be a part of Yeah. Adam, Adam, well, Adam earlier in the year went on his honeymoon with his, uh, with his wife. And so obviously we lost Adam from the team at that point. And since he's come back, I think he's been freelancing all over the place. And obviously with COVID, we've not really needed a producer in the same way. Um, but Adam is one of those guys who's always sort of welcome as part of the team and is, you know, is very much part of the family because I've known Adam almost for eight, uh, seven or eight years now. And since day one, when I met him, we've had a great relationship. We've had a lot of breakfast together. Um, Adam and I love going for breakfast. That's probably one of my passions. And um, he's also, I think a lot of people underestimate how funny Adam Boltwood is. I can't say enough how funny he is to hang out with. Uh, and he loves karaoke, which, you know, who doesn't? Yeah, I'm no good at karaoke. Because I can't sing for shit. <laughs> I think, to be honest, most people aren't very good at karaoke because they can't sing for shit, but they just don't know it. 
there's one thing about having a disability, you know what your weaknesses are. You know what your weaknesses are, Zim. <laughs> so you know what to avoid. I mean, to be honest, I think if anything, you should lean into it and give it a try. Because, you know, you've got to try at least everything once, even if you're a terrible singer. I mean, what I find is, me personally, we've had something, something up to be really critical of yourself. Because a lot of people are too afraid to be critical of your work. Because they don't want to hurt your feelings, of course. Yeah. So you have to be extra critical of yourself as a creator. So what's your opinion on that? Would you like people to be more critical of you? Or, or if, they, if it's there, obviously. Like, to be honest, I don't mind constructive criticism. Like, if somebody said, if somebody said to me, that's a bit, that is shit. Obviously, I would find that a bit annoying. <laughs> yeah. But if they come up and send to me, that's humorous, but it's shit because of this. Like, the camera was a bit off, mm. or the, the audio wasn't right, or something like that, then I wouldn't mind it. But yeah. it, it just want people, I just, I just dig it for the sake of being dick. Oh, well, I mean, I'm right here, mate. That's, that's the, that's the <laughs> Uh, where do you broadcast from there? Where, whereabouts are you right now? Are you in a bedroom or where? I'm, I'm, in, my, I'm in my bedroom because I, I don't have a proper studio because I'm still living at home, so I don't have like a proper, proper studio. I think you, your setup's great though. I mean, it looks, uh, uh, you basically look like you've got a gaming setup like any of the sidemen have got, basically. Nice pillow behind your head, a big comfy chair, and a great headset. Thank you. At some point, I would like to get, in, get into a proper stu studio and, I, and I'll add your guest come into the studio at some point. So you forgive, I, me, you forgive me if I don't know how kind of mobile you are. Are you, are you, uh, you can get out and about then or, you know, what, what's, what's the deal with that? Yeah, I, basically, I have an electric wheelchair so right. I can get out and about if I want to, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, in that case then, I don't see what's stopping you getting in a studio at some point. Maybe COVID at this point, but once COVID has sort of passed and people can get out there, then where, where are you based? Are you London or whereabouts are you? No, I'm, I'm Birmingham. That's, 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 a, that's a real down point. In Birmingham, there's not many creative to really create with. And at the same time, just being in Birmingham is a bit of a downer, isn't it? So, you know. I, I, I'm joking, actually, because I grew up very near to Birmingham and I used to, um, when I was younger, I used to go to the Bull Ring quite a lot. The Bull Ring, when it was refurbed, do you know what I mean? Like when it was that, when it was the big fancy place. Yeah. And uh, I've got a lot of love for Birmingham. I think it's a really great city. And obviously, you've got people like GT, what are they called? The two, like, oh, TGF Bros. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You've got you've got them and a couple of other people, but I don't really make the content that they make, so it would be a bit weird. I, I would really love to see you in your electric <laughs> wheelchair careering down the side of a mountain or something, or you know, uh, sitting in a hot chocolate bath or whatever it is. I don't know. Those 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 do some 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 amazing some amazing views. So I can see a serious collaboration <laughs> coming on with TGF at this point.
pushing an electric wheelchair down the side of a mountain would probably be one of their best videos ever. <laughs> Having said that, though, uh, yeah, I also want to make sure you're okay. So <laughs> maybe, I won't, maybe I won't go for that one. But at the same time, you know, I think Birmingham's a great place. I mean, there's lots of creative people in Birmingham. And it's a very, you know, Liverpool's a very unique city. Manchester's very unique. Sheffield's very unique. I really think Birmingham goes like underappreciated for how creative it is and also how diverse it is as a city. Because, you know, there are so many different people who through the decades have ended up there. It's quite a, I don't know if melting pot is still really a, a PC phrase, but it's quite a place where people go to mix. And I think that's really cool. So you mean it's more tricultural? It's definitely multicultural. I mean, I spent a bit of my time in Erdington when I was a, when I was a kid because my mum is now married to someone who lived in Erdington. And that was, um, that was, very, uh, that was a very interesting place to go. Uh, and then, obviously, I spent a lot of time in the Bull Ring and sort of in Central, around the Canal and that sort of thing. So I, I love Birmingham. I think it's great. So thank you for coming on, Lawrence. One more question. Real pleasure. Yeah, of course. I would, I would, I would like to be remembered either by your supporters or by your family or by anybody that knows you. Um, that's a really good question, actually. Have I ever been asked how would I like to be remembered before? I think I might have answered this on True Geordie podcast. Um, how would I? You've, I genuinely oh, yeah. didn't expect that question to come up, so I can I can give you a good. I think I'm going to try and give you a good answer. Um, I would like to be remembered as, uh, I know I can give you an emotional answer. I can give you something that's sort of a bit funny. I, I'd like to be remembered as someone who uh, changed and evolved uh, with what was going on and didn't always stay the same and um, was adaptable and uh, also at the same time, didn't make too many bad jokes, but that maybe is not the way that I will be remembered because I've made enough <laughs> bad jokes in my life. And, and just to address this one thing, yes, I did steal, I did steal that question from You've got to be careful because Brian will come, he will find you <laughs> and he will, he will, I mean, I, don't, I can't say what he's going to do, but I'm pretty sure he will sue you until, uh, until the podcast is gone. So, yeah, you, I guess you can have that because I'm a guest, you know, it's sort of by proxy. But it is a great question to finish on, isn't it? Yeah. So, so thank you for coming on, Lawrence. I really so, appreciate you taking the time to interview me. It was, a, it was really lovely to chat to you. So I, I, hope you I hope you enjoyed that, guys. I almost forgot. Do you want to promote your social media? Good question. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter and definitely on Instagram. I really enjoy doing Instagram at the moment, just at Lozcast. Um, and you will get something I'm really enjoying at the moment is uh, exploring being a new dad. And it's really good fun. So uh, you won't get any photos of my child there, but you will get some good stories. Congratulations on that one, the way. Thank you. We're both really proud and we're so happy. He's such a, uh, it's such a gift to get a, have a child. So I'm, I'm really feeling very sort of um, lucky at the moment, which is good. And, you know, lucky to have a partner who is such a great mother to our, to our child as well. So I hope, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I will speak to you later. Please like, comment and subscribe.